Hey, I'm sex, love, and relationship therapist, Dr. Laura Berman. And for the past 30 years, I've been helping people just like you learn to love and be loved better. Here on the Language of Love Conversations, I'm talking to some of the world's most influential and revolutionary experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, and celebrities about love, sex, and relationships from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. And that way, my goal is to awaken your mind, body, and soul. It's time to become fluent in the language of love. I'm so excited about this language of love conversation with Lisa Bilyeu. Now, she is the co-founder of a billion-dollar company, Quest Nutrition, and the president of Impact Theory. And she's also the host of Women of Impact, which is a show that features women who have overcome odds and all sorts of issues in life to really thrive and live in their genius and in massive success. And we talk about her new book. It's called Radical Confidence, 10 No BS Lessons on Becoming the Hero of Your Own Life. Great title, right? So she is that. She's no BS. She's hilarious. She's full of confidence, but she also shares the secrets to confidence and also her backstory that she really was not someone that came into adulthood feeling a lot of confidence. I do hold her feet to the fire a little bit as you'll see, but she was a good sport about it. And I think I made her think, as you know, I have a tendency to do, but I learned so much from her and I hope you will too. If you like this, make sure to let me know because I'm here to help you learn to love and be loved better. So radical self-confidence. I have so many things to ask you about. I love the book and I love how practical it is. I know that's your MO. It is practical. I have so many things to ask you about, but let's start with the obvious question. And I know you spend a whole book defining this, but how do you define radical confidence? Radical confidence came about when people would see where I started. So that I was a stay-at-home wife for eight years. I was very supportive. I was traditional Greek Orthodox woman. So I was really staying at home supporting my husband. And then in my evolution, started Quest Nutrition, billion-dollar company. And people see me now And the thing I got asked a lot is, where do you get your confidence from, Lisa? Mm -hmm. I want your confidence. Mm. I have no idea who they're talking about. Because if you heard how negative the voice is in my head, it surprised me that people perceived me as confident. Mm. And so it originally just shocked me. And then afterwards, I was like, what are they seeing? Because I I don't see. Yeah. yeah. And I realized it was, they just see me moving forward. They see me taking action. They see me stepping in front of the camera. They see me getting on stage. They see me do all these uncomfortable things. And so they think it's confidence. But what I realize is they're seeing radical confidence, which means that I'm absolutely scared shitless. <laughs> I'm totally inadequate for yeah. what I'm about to do. I am insecure. I don't actually believe that I'm good enough, but I still take the step forward. Why? Where does that come from? I think it came from, so I didn't ask what I wanted in life. Like when I started to, when I got married and I settled in the life that I thought I was going to have, I never asked for more. Mm-hmm. And I think a big part of it is growing up as Greek Orthodox, you're told a certain story. Yeah. And that story is that your end goal is to be married. Yeah. That was literally the to messaging. Yeah, to be the wife. And so my grandmother, very traditional. I was a kid, I would scrape my knee and she'd come running over, you know, I'm crying. She'd be like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You're going to be okay by the time you get married. <laughs> oh like That was her. It was like constant conditioning in yes. all these subtle and not so subtle ways. Yes, and she was almost like, it came from a beautiful place. Yes. Like she was really, truly trying to and console me. And that was her me. value system. Exactly. Yes. Now, being a kid though, you're taking all these subliminal messages that you then eventually grow up to believe, oh, this is where I'm supposed yeah. to be. So A, I didn't question it. B, I dismissed my own unhappiness. And I think a big part of how I dismissed my unhappiness was I used gratitude originally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be like, but Lisa, you know, how grateful are you? You know, like every time yeah. I assessed, is this really my life? Is this really what I wanted in life? I would use gratitude to get me through. Yeah. And how can I be how can I be dissatisfied? Look at all I have. Right. right? And originally, I think actually it can be a beautiful thing, yes. right? If so, if you're in that victim mentality where you're like, woe is me, I can't believe this is my life. Or Grat- you're struggling with major depression. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Gratitude can pull you out, right? Yeah. It can give you a different perspective of things. And so the first couple of years, because me and my husband, our goal at the time 
we're just going to make enough money to make movies. Mm. That was our goal. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll be a stay-at-home wife for a couple of years. It won't be that long for the greater good. How many people do you know, especially women, that will sacrifice mm -hmm. for the greater good and they'll keep sacrificing? Yeah. And Way longer than they signed up to do it. Yes. And then what you realize is you sacrifice for everybody else except for your own dreams. Yeah. Yeah, because we're never, in, I mean, a good woman, no matter what your cultural background is, if you are over 30, let's just say, and maybe even if you're younger than 30, you were conditioned to put yourself last on the totem pole. Exactly. And then you get the validation, the external validation that actually is like the velvet handcuffs. Yes. So the validation is, oh my God, you're such a great good yes. wife. Yes. Oh, you're, you're just so, so wonderful. wonderful. Like, yes. isn't Tom lucky? Yes. And so what that does, it makes you feel proud. And so you now sink your identity into the external validation. Any shift, any change means a change in your identity, which then has the echo effect of, oh my God, when am I going to get the validation yes. from? So now you start to think, where am I going to feel worth? Where yes. am I going to get my self-worth from? Because for so long, I haven't looked inwards. I've looked outside of myself. Yes. And I want to, I'm going to get to the can of worms, opening <laughs> that can of worms for sure. I'm excited to talk about that. But I think you said two things that are so important to highlight. One is what I call sort of spiritual bypassing, mm -hmm. right? Or emotional bypassing. I'm going to gratitude it away. I'm going to tap it away. I'm going to, you know, but not really deal with the source. It's like putting Band-Aids on, right? Yes. And so you just kept putting Band-Aids on. And the other, which you and I have talked about on your podcast, is this idea of sourcing our value outside ourselves, right? Yeah. And so often we're taught as humans to do that in our society, but certainly as women. So what I'm so curious about, because you're kind of saying like for me, my value, I'd been raised to see my value outside myself as the wife or the help need or mm -hmm. whatever that is. And as I was struggling with my frustration, part of what kept me stuck was without that externalized validation that I'm worthy, where is it going to come from? Yeah. So for you, because I know there's been a huge shift from them, which is what the story in the book is about, and it's very revealing. You talk about a lot of your struggles. What was the turning point for you? Because you and I have talked about how in all the places in our lives we're stuck, the pain of being stuck eventually becomes greater mm. than the fear of getting unstuck and yeah. what that might mean, right? So what was that tipping point for you? This is another reason why I wrote the book, because I started to realize, I'm sure you have to, you've spoken to so many incredible people, and a lot of people's success stories come from the fact that they hit rock bottom. Yes. It becomes, well, I had nothing else to lose. And they had a huge tragedy. Right. And so that becomes a, like, I'm on my knees, so there's nowhere else to go, yeah. so I may as well take this chance. I may as well make this shift. I may as well make this change in my life, because there's no other fear. I've hit rock bottom, to your point, right? Where it's like it has to be so desperate to pull yourself out for you to make a change. I was really thinking, what about so many women, especially who are like me, who live in purgatory of the mundane? I love that. I meant to ask you about that. That's I just say that purgatory of the mundane yeah. is a state of describe that because I think so many people live in that. Yeah, it's you haven't hit rock bottom. So you're in this purgatory and your life isn't bad enough. It's just mundane enough where you end up stuck. And so you're like, well, it could be worse, right? And so the gratitude piece, as I started to get uncomfortable with, is this really my life, right? Because the first couple of years, you kind of do it for the greater good. And then you, that whisper comes in like, mm -hmm. is this really what you asked for? <laughs> right? So it's like that whisper starts to come in. Yeah. And so I really started to assess, is this the life I want? And every time I was doing that, I was saying to myself, but Lisa, how ungrateful are you? I started to use the gratitude piece that was actually quite a great thing for me. It was a great tool to use in those dark moments. Yeah. It now became the exact staple that kept me there. Yeah. And so it was how ungrateful. And it was shame. Shame, yeah. How ungrateful are you to do, yeah. to want more, Lisa? Yeah. The shame of like, oh God, like I'm really unhappy. But I feel kind of shameful. But you have no to, right to be, was yeah, the story. Yes. Which, of course, you did. Yes, exactly. Also, I think that so many of us believe that if we've got something good going over here, that we have no right to ask for other things that are great. Yeah. It's like, well, I've got a happy marriage, so can I really ask for a better career? It's like, yes, 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 yes ask you can. for it all. 
So for me though, I was in the purgatory of the mundane for eight years. And it wasn't until my husband came home, so it ended up being, we were gonna do it for one or two years, we're just gonna try and make enough money. That one of your two years turned into eight, eight years. And making enough money to make movies turned into making enough money. So how many of us have a goal, have a mm-hmm. vision that over time evolves, changes, and now you've got a behavior, a certain lifestyle that actually when you look back, you're like, I didn't, this wasn't what I, you know, this what I signed up, signed for. up for, exactly. Yeah. But now, which we were talking about in my podcast with you is that, but then it becomes you pop committed. It's like, well, I've spent six years as a stay at home wife and we're thinking it just is going to take another year. Is this really where I bail? And so now you become pot committed in that. In that, the misery of eight years, me and my husband chasing money, neither of us were happy. We then made the statement, we have to make a change. And at the time, his business partners were also miserable. So they decided the change was going to be, let's start a new company that's predicated on a passion and a mission instead of predicated on just money. Right. And so that's a good start. It's a good start. Exactly. So that idea was a protein bar. Yeah. And so my husband comes home and he's like, babe, we're no longer going to chase money. Like this is going to make me happy. And then I start thinking as a good Greek wife, well, that's all that I need. I just need my husband to be happy. I need my man to be happy. Yeah. And then I'll be happy. Mm. So even with that, I went in going, of course, babe, like that makes total sense. Oh my God. I wish I had a wife like you. I just, it was the scramble yeah. of, right, where you yeah. just you become stuck. You don't see a way out. You see maybe a light at the end of the yeah. tunnel, even if it's like a little dot in the distance. And you're like, okay, maybe I can do that. Yeah. And so I said, cool, as a good supportive wife, how can I help? Yeah. And so it's like, well, it's a startup company. We just need you to ship a couple of bars from the living room floor. We just need you to come to the ki- rental kitchen once a week and we'll cut them and make them by hand and rolling pins. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I'm a good Greek wife. I can do that. Yeah, yeah. What I didn't expect is that the company would grow at 57,000%. Oh my God, 57,000%. Yeah, so we went from zero to a billion dollar company in five years. Oh my gosh. I went from being the good supportive Greek wife that was shipping bars off my living room floor one day to then all of a sudden I'm at the post office with a big garbage bag over my shoulder. And the next thing I know, the UPS guys come in to pick up the bars and it just grew so quickly. And then you have this huge shipping machine that you're running and organizing. Yeah. Now, I had zero experience. All along the way, I was like, I'm just helping my husband. And it got to a point where the company grew so much that there was this pivotal moment where I was either going to be like, now I either need to hire someone underneath me for my department, or I go back to being a housewife and then I hire someone to replace me because we'd grown so much. At that point, I had realized what I was made of. Yeah. I realized that I'd pushed myself I'd done it myself. You figured that shit out. I mean, it's complicated to figure out all those shipping logistics. and Yeah. Even to the point, though, that I, because I thought, and I think a lot of people do, I'll wait to have the confidence before I start this. Yes. To change my life. I am waiting for the confidence. And I thought the same. But the reason why I wrote this book and I called it Radical Confidence is if you see the steps that I took, I had zero confidence. I had zero skill sets because I don't think that radical confidence is about blind belief. Yeah. Right? It's about saying, oh, I now have to, the UPS guy comes and he says, you know what? I can pick up a lot more bars if you put it on a pallet. And I'm like, all right, thanks, mate. And I'm like, what the hell is a pallet? (laughs) So I run back to my computer, type into freaking Google, what on earth is a pallet? Where do I get one from? How do I get it by tomorrow? And before I know it, I figure it out. It turns up, I put the boxes on and the UPS guy comes the next day and he's like, oh, well done. And I'm like, thanks. You know, like, no problem. Yes. But what you're talking about, I think is two things, is that the confidence is in your ability to figure it out. Correct. And it is also, and I know you call it sort of this willingness to fail. And that's, to me, I mean, I've always said that to my kids, that that's the definition of bravery is not that you're not scared shitless, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I don't say shitless to them, but that you do it anyway. And the confidence, I think, for you, and you show this again and again, because you found yourself in these pivotal choice points, right, with the shipping department, Mm -hmm. and then you move to production, and then you keep having to just figure it all out, and you just kept saying, yeah, okay, and then figured it out. Exactly. And I think that that's where so many of us will stop, right? Where it's like, this is scary. The voice in my head, which I call the ego, is Mm -hmm. actually there to protect us, right? They say, you can't do it. You're not good enough, right? It's the ego because it doesn't want you to fail to be embarrassed or to feel the shame or anything that comes along with it. And it doesn't like change that much. Right. Yeah. 
So it's trying to keep you where you are, which it perceives as being safe. Yes. Right. And so when you try anything new, all the, the thoughts come flooding in. And so you fear the failure because you think that that's going to mean something about who you are, that you yes. are a failure. And what I realized was failure does mean something about you, but not what you think. We think it means that's who I am. I am a failure. But what it actually means is you're someone that cares enough about your life to take a chance. To try. Yes. And it's that mentality, that idea that allows us to start shifting into who we are today and look forward to being, to go after the person we want to be. Going back to that question that you asked, I think the, the key where for people to get started is say, what is the identity you currently have right now? And then right next to it, I want you to answer, make it binary, yes or no, your gut instinct. When I ask this question, I want people to immediately write it down. Does it excite you? Mm-hmm. So my identity was being the great wife. Does it excite me? Hell no. I didn't ask myself <laughs> the question. Yeah. I didn't ask myself no. the question. No. And so that then aligns, goes, and so when you have the answer, it then gives you an indication that, oh, I am now, tying myself to an identity that doesn't fulfill me. Yes. And then you can break it out. Why? What is that validation you're getting? And so for me, the real key to uncuffing myself for the, in my entire life after that was really saying, what is the identity that I can use that can help me propel me forward even when I'm scared, even when I'm failing, even when that negative voice is coming in my head telling me I shouldn't do it? What is the identity I can adopt to keep me yes. going? And it was being the learner. Yes. Yes. Because now, give me any situation. Lisa, you fell on your face and embarrassed yourself and failed miserably. If I have the identity of the learner, I'm like, great. Great, I'm learned. Yes. Yes. If I go to walk into a room, which was very, very true early on, I walked into a room, all men with years and years and years of business experience are over me. The imposter syndrome comes flooding yes. in, which makes you not want to enter the yes. room, which makes you feel insecure. Or not want to open your mouth. Or, yes. Yeah. But now, with the identity of the learner, how do you think I feel when I'm walking into that room? Yes. Um, so then you're really willing to fail. And I think so many of us, and anyone who's ever, if you talk to any business, I mean, Oprah talks about this all the time too. Any successful person will tell you that the only way you can be successful is if you are unequivocally willing to fail. Yeah. And you have to embrace failure and expect failure. And I love that idea of just really shifting to embrace failure through the lens of being a learner. Because that's really what you're talking about is that you change the lens that you were looking at your experience through and that changes everything. Exactly. And then let's, let's admit, not everyone's going to succeed. Right. If you don't succeed, are you able to take those failures day in and day out without the loss of enthusiasm? Yeah. Because the success isn't guaranteed. No. So the only thing that is, is the struggle and the journey. Yeah. So are you freaking loving it? Yeah. Is it exciting? Yeah. Is it exciting? And you found that journey and the way you describe it, you can tell that it was exciting. It was flying by the seat of your pants a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. but you were learning and you were figuring out and it was exciting. And I think one of the things that I want to also ask you about, which is related to kind of asking yourself these questions of, am I happy? Am I excited with my identity? One of the things that I love about you and and the way you describe it and the way you wrote it in your book is that you by nature, I can tell, are a problem solver, Mm. right? And so you're very practical Mm. and you like to break things down and you like to ask yourself questions and then say, okay, even with your health crises that I know you talk about in the book. And I love this so much because I'm always telling women, especially, you have to be your own health advocate. You have to ask the questions. You have to ask to get the blood work. You know, you. I want to ask you about this journey in a minute, but it's also how you broke it down, right? Like, okay, this, my stomach's not feeling good. What would happen if I tried this? Well, what would happen if I tried this? Well, what would, you know, you systematic, you have systems. I do. Right? You're very systematic about figuring things out. And that makes you a great advice giver, right? Because you can show us about how to create those systems. But what if you're not someone who naturally thinks that way? Like, I think this comes, this is one of your gifts. This comes mm. really naturally to you. That's fascinating. Because as you were saying, it's like, it does feel like it comes naturally now. But as you were saying, I was like, that doesn't actually align with who I felt like I was. And so when you were talking, I was really trying to like peel it apart. And I think the key for me is I'm actually, as a kid, I don't think I was naturally like that. And I felt all my feelings. 
Mm-hmm. I think as I got older, I realized my feelings can absolutely lead me astray. Mm. And what I mean is, and there's a chapter I call in my book, is, you know, gain emotional sobriety. Yeah, I love that term, emotional sobriety. Because it's like sometimes, right, where you're, like, you're really mad or you're really frustrated, just like when you have too many shots of alcohol, the next day sometimes you're like, oh, well, yeah. that really wasn't me. You know, I shouldn't you're have said that. You're acting from your trigger. Exactly. Yeah. So I used to act from my trigger all the time because I was so insecure. Yeah. And so what I realized, I think, as I grew older is that I've got a choice, right? You talk about that as well. You like you have a choice. I can either let my emotions steer me or I can come up with ways to bypass it. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually mean bypass it by ignoring them. I am right. always the person that feel your feels, but don't trust them all the time. Yes. And so how do you do both? And so for me, big solution was come up with tactics and things that you can do that are so practical that now it becomes binary. Because let's say I wake up tomorrow and I feel really bad about myself. Let's say a video went out and it didn't do well and everyone hated it and it got mocked. So let's just go really extreme, right? The next day I wake up and of course I'm only human. I feel stung. I feel like, oh, like disappointed. I feel upset. How the hell do I keep showing up? How do I make sure that my emotions don't get in the way? It's like, see, Lisa, I told you you shouldn't have got in front of the camera. Let's just forget the whole thing. Yes. I am 1000% naturally like that. And then I go, does that mentality serve me, yes or no? And I realized it didn't. So I go, how do I bypass or at least make sure that I don't allow my emotions to steer me? And it became come up with game plans. Mm -hmm. So if it's getting in front of the camera, what is your binary things you're going to do in your game plan that each moment you wake up and you go, did you do it, yes or no? There's no excuses. There's no like, well, I felt badly about myself. No, 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 no. Did you step in front of the camera, yes or no? Did you press record? Yes or no? (laughs) All of my practicalities, I think, really did come from me realizing, oh, this is actually a great strategy so that I can keep showing up, not dismissing my feelings, but taking them on, assessing them, and then keep moving forward. Right. And with practicalities. But all of that said, and I know you talk about that you weren't that, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but it didn't come across that you were that into school or that you saw yourself as very smart. But you're really smart and you have the ability to naturally, I don't care whether you did this before when Mm. you were younger or not, you have the ability to naturally come up with solutions that many people wouldn't come up with necessarily, even if they weren't stuck in their emotions, Mm. right? Like it just, they're not not coming up with it because they're caught up in their anger or fear. They're just literally like, okay, so what's the solution, right? And I think one of the things that you talk about in the book is sort of, I forget how you put it, but it's this idea of really thinking outside the box. Yes. And sometimes the solutions aren't even found in the circumstance you're in. Yeah. And thank you. I love it. Like when people push me to like break it down because I'm so about tactics that it's super important. I think the big key is to say like, what is the goal? Yeah. Like, first of all, you have to assess what is the goal. And it has to be so concrete. It can't be lofty. It can't yeah. be like up in the thing. It's like, all right. So let's say in the next six months, by July 27th, right? So you actually give yourself a concrete date. Yeah. My goal is to send out a thousand emails to uh, 20 prospects that are going to convert at 2%. Mm. Right? And so it just goes like, make a goal binary. Yes. Because now, if, make it very concrete. Because now it's, you wake up, did you do it? Yes or no? Now, that all can only be done, though, if you actually believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. The power of freaking belief. The idea of when you first faced with anything. What are the words that you tell yourself? Is it, I can't, it's impossible, right. I have no idea. Or do you say, I have no idea yet? Yes. It may seem impossible, but I will figure it out. It all becomes like literally the difference between someone that doesn't get started and then even me is just the idea of, oh, maybe I can. Yeah. It's that. It's not, again, it's not the blind belief that I'm going to freaking crush it. It's not the blind belief that I've got everything sorted. It's just the belief <laughs> that I will be able to figure it out yeah. over time. Yeah. One way or another, you'll figure it out. Yes. Yeah. And it's that idea that to me starts you from outside the box. Yeah. Because now it's like, oh, I'll figure it out. I have no idea how. Yeah. Right, so now it's almost like, and now you've got a blank canvas. Yes. So starting with that blank canvas is going to be imperative. Believing that you're going to figure it out, but understanding it may take moments of falling on your face to get back up and learn from it. 
And then it takes, let's say, the goal. So the example I give in the book is on my first day, I've built our shipping department. I'm miserable. I make the first change into our production department. And so our CMO turns to me. And the very first day, on the very first moment that I join, I start, okay, I'm going to build the studio. He's like, and we need a kitchen set. You've got like $15,000. And hey, we need it in two weeks. And he just turned <laughs> around and walked off. Oh and so I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. A, I just figured out how to build a shipping department. Yeah. B, I like had to figure out all along the way and it wasn't out of expertise. It was out of just fear of losing my house and then fear of looking stupid, <laughs> right? Like that was actually my motivation back then. He didn't question it. He didn't ask Lisa, can you do it? Right. And I think that that was the first key of the power of belief mm. of that. Like, because I didn't have an out, yeah. I was like, oh crap, well, I better think I really about this. I really have to do this. Yeah, and I think that a lot of us, going back to your question, is we see this big end thing. Yeah. So you go studio, set, two weeks, budget, oh my God. Now, I studied filmmaking, but not once did I ever take a set building class. So I have zero experience over here. So you have this big, grand goal that I have no idea what I'm doing, but I believe in myself that I can figure it out. So step one, I've got that. And now it's how on earth do I do it? Go back to basics. It's a kitchen. (laughs) Who sells freaking kitchens on the cheap? Because I only had $15,000. I was like, okay, Ikea. Ikea. You have to ask the question to then come up with the answer. And the next inspired step. Exactly. So it goes, okay, to your point, I got the kitchen now. What's the next inspired step? Well, it's a set. So that means it has to be attached to walls. (laughs) How do I get a wall, right? And then like, what does a kitchen look like? Oh God, a kitchen's got windows. Crap, where am I going to get windows? So I actually drive to Home Depot and I look at the windows and I'm like, all right, this seems like the right size. Let's put this on the set. Yeah. And I literally buy it, put it in my but you car. You didn't have to build all this, right? You, no. But then you had like, to design it and figure out how to make it work. Yes. So it's like, okay, I've got the set. Okay, I've got a window and now I need the, someone to actually build it. Yeah. So then the builder comes in and he says to me, oh, I don't know, Lisa, this is going to tip over because I wanted it on wheels and I wanted it to be so the two walls that were joining. Yeah. So in thinking through so it. So a movable set. Exactly. So yeah. I was like, well, this is a leased studio. So I need to be able to move the set. And I was like, well, I'm freaking out how to move the set. All right, let's just put on wheels. I know they exist because I've seen other TV sets before. So I was like, so I think wheels would work. And then like, just have them joining here with a little latch. Yeah. And so I show them the contract and the contract is like, yeah, Lisa, this is going to topple over. <laughs> These are the moments where so many of us take an yeah. expert's opinion as fact. Yeah. We're like, okay, we're screwed. Forget it. I can't right. do this. Yeah. Right. So now in this moment where the contract is telling me no, I have a decision to make. I either listen to him, which does that get me towards my goal? Yes or no? No, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. If I believe him and like this is impossible, I'm screwed. Right. I don't get the set. But if I have a different attitude, to say, he may not know of a way, but it is it can be done. Yes. Now it's going to make me look for a way to get it done. And that's exactly what I How did. How did you find a way? So, well, first of all, I remember having been on a, movie, a TV set years before. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I know that there's got wheels and I know that there's like a big base, but the guy's saying it's going to freaking topple over. Mm. Well, what do I know about things that topple over? And I was like, they well, you know, you've got the, sh- the shelves. The shelves, when you put a shelf, you put like a little bracket uh-huh. because, because of the counterweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, would that work on if it's vertical? So I literally drew this, draw this little diagram and I'm sitting there with a contractor because I wouldn't take no as an option. I was just throwing out and yeah, I was like, yeah. well, this, like throwing shit out there to yeah. see what would stick. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that I knew what I was doing. In that, you go back and forward. You start to go, oh, well, I'm not going to accept no as an answer. Yeah, so there's got to be a solution Yeah, here. we're still going to keep going, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to stop because I know it can be done. Yeah. And so because of that, we just went back and forward. I do this little diagram. And he's like, well, yeah, actually, that could work if you put the bracket here. And I, to this day, the set's still standing and Aww. I still got the diagram that Aww. I did. Now, people may perceive that as being really smart. I honestly don't. And there's a part of me that really wants to push back when you said you're really smart. You, I know that's interesting because you, I can tell you're really smart. And not that someone else can't achieve what you've achieved, but you are. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. It's obviously a great compliment because my whole life, and let's talk about triggers for a second here, my whole life, my trigger was feeling dumb. I know. And so feeling dumb makes me want to counteract it because that feeling of dumb really doesn't sit well with me. Mm -mm. As I got older and as I realized that I could 
whether I showed up or not was up to me. Yeah. Whether I pushed myself was up to me. Whether who I am today, do I really believe that should dictate who I can become? No. And so while I may not even think I'm smart today or I have the skill set today, I so believe that I will figure it out. It may take me four years to figure it out. Yeah. But, you're but I believe that I will figure it out. And part of that means having to fall on your face. Yeah. Part of that means having to be wrong. Part of that means having to feel lost and then find my and way again. And guess what? Smart people do all of that, mm. right? Because smart people aren't right all the time. So true. I actually, in fact, that's actually really interesting because I perceive smart as being naturally gifted in being able to be a whiz at anything. That's a crack of shit if I ever heard one. <laughs> though how our yeah. minds give us a belief system and then as I even said it out loud I was like that's not right but you and I have <sighs> talked about that that until you put those things on the table and yeah, say them out yeah. loud they are in there yeah you know and that's actually think I think why I'm actually also comfortable in being open about my triggers because yeah. I have recognized it doesn't serve me I have recognized that if it was actually true would I actually be where I am but at the same time here's a little insight to the duality that that I face on a daily with my own mindset. Mm -hmm. Feeling stupid does drive me. Yeah. Feeling stupid does make me figure things out because it's so uncomfortable because I was teased for yeah. being in a special quote unquote class, yeah. being mildly dyslexic, still getting my B's and my D's mixed up. Yep. It creates an anxiety in me that actually propels me forward. You know what you're reminding me of? This girlfriend of mine who's a really, who's a very prolific poet. That's mm -hmm. her job. And she was really, really going through a very dark time in depression. And her doctor had talked to her about going to therapy and or medication. And she said to me, I am afraid that if I am no longer depressed, I won't be able to do poetry. Like, I see the two as connected. Now, how crazy does that sound to you when I say that? It sounds crazy, but I kind of understand but it. You, but it's also... Okay, let's talk about your thing. We're going to have a little therapy session. Yeah, let's session do it. Here. I love this show. Okay, <laughs> so your story is yes. the only way that I am going to drive through the resistance and keep solving problems and keep having radical confidence and acting from that place is if I believe, if I have to prove I'm not stupid. It's more kind of there's some nuances there so it's like oh lisa you are so not adequate to do this like you have no skill set you have no knowledge like yeah. there's nothing in your background that should say you'd be able to do this right but that's not saying you're stupid no but there are certain things where someone will say something and i'm like i don't understand but you're right it's not that i'm stupid but it is that I have to overcome an obstacle. Yes. And that obstacle is something that I never would overcome when I was a kid. And so I thought that that dictated who I was. Yes. And I think so many of us with a fixed mindset think, right, who we are today yes, means this is who ourselves. we are. Exactly. But, but I want, I, I'm not going to let you off the hook <laughs> because I don't, I, what you're saying, right, to say to yourself, okay, this is an obstacle and I'm not someone who lets obstacles stop me. Yeah. And I am someone who can figure shit out. And I may not figure it out right away. And I might fail a lot. I'm a learner. Yeah. And I'm going to figure it out, right? Yes. Where does the story that you need to prove you're not, or that little girl who's been told she's not smart, right? Yes. Where does that have to fit into it? Why do you have such resistance? What's your story that if you embrace the fact that you're smart, Ooh. that that other part will go away? The drive to Ooh, try maybe. and fail. Maybe, maybe it's the drive. But why does your drive have to come from the attachment to the story that you're... That's actually very interesting. I don't think it has to. I think it has served me. Yes. And I think that if it becomes detrimental to my self-esteem, but it actually doesn't. Are you it, sure? Because I, I didn't like how uncomfortable you got when I was saying you were smart. Hmm. And you think that's detrimental to my self-esteem? I don't know. I just think that not honoring something beautiful that you are is a shame. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't mind embracing it. It makes me feel good. But letting go of that old story, to your point, has served me. Yeah. And I've seen so many people in my life where a story really crushes them. Yes. The story they hold makes them feel worse about themselves. And keeps it them stuck. Them. It immobilizes them. Yes. 
I am almost very constant, which is why I'm actually, it's easy for me to say out loud my trigger yeah. because I'm very comfortable with well, it. Well, you're a natural ass kicker. If someone tells you you can't do something, you're going to prove them wrong. Right. Like, that's your personality. Right. So it makes a lot of sense right. to me that that would be where a lot of your motivation came yeah. from. And so the the drive inside me, I've actually cultivated. Yes. I see where it gets me. I've done the internal work to make sure that my trigger isn't detrimental to my self-esteem. Right. It doesn't invalidate me. Right. And so right now you're seeing me as the person who has assessed that this mindset has done me well. It doesn't hold me back. And so I don't know if I am interested in letting it go, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Why you're not, if I said to you, my guess is you think I'm smart. I hope you do. I do, right? yes. Okay. So, But the, not naturally. I think that you work hard at it. Yeah. I don't know how many people are naturally. Uh, maybe that's just actually, this is an interesting discussion. I don't think of anyone as like, oh, you're just gifted. Like you look at, let's say, Serena Williams. It mm-hmm. makes me wear mad when people are just, you're naturally gifted. You know how yeah. freaking hard that woman yeah, works? Yeah, yeah, And to dismiss her as being yes. naturally talented, yes. I think takes away all the work that she's done. Yes. And then that's a bad message to a younger girl who wants to be Serena well, Williams. So, so what's the parallel between that and me telling you you're smart? That other people perceive it as being a natural talent and that they're like, well, I'm not smart, so I can't do what Lisa does. But for me to emphasize, guys, you have no idea how I don't feel smart. Not only right. did I not feel smart growing up, I was put in a special class. I get my B's and my D's mixed up. I um, mildly dislike all these things that come so with. So part him. of your identity is the one who has gotten over being stupid. Yes. Right. And that's okay. I mean, I see why that's mm. important for people to understand. Yeah. Right. But that's separate them your identity Mm. as someone who is intrinsically really smart that doesn't mean that you know everything in the world or you're the most educated person or the most learned person or could talk about politics and physics and you know i'm not that's different Mm. than that's being educated in certain things all right here you go that's different than being smart now you're really pointing out it's you're right i've absolutely equated educated with smart. And yeah. anytime someone asks me a geographic question, a math question, an e- economy, I like freeze so me much. Too. And then I'm just like, oh God, I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't like, I'm stupid. Yeah. Like it goes into what I'm clearly not naturally smart is what I tell myself when that but happens. That's not true. You're not naturally educated because you had learning differences that limited your capacity to be educated in the environments you were educated in to attain the knowledge and integrate it and regurgitate it, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That was limited Mm -hmm. because of your learning differences. But that has nothing to do. I mean, I can tell you as a mom of three boys with ADHD and dyslexia and learning differences, these kids, and I'm not just saying this because they're my kids, they're really smart. They're intuitive. They're insightful. They can problem solve. They can learn things when it's delivered to them in a way that they can digest, Mm -hmm. right? They're not going to learn by reading a book because that takes much longer than it does their peers, but they listen to the book and they'll remember everything they heard, right? That's smart. Hmm. So yeah, maybe it's our definition and under or perspective of what that word brings to the table maybe. And then that goes to like language on what other people use and that is interesting because every time someone says that to me I always push back I'm I know just... that's what's so interesting to me <laughs> you're really I... committed to not being smart yeah and I think it yeah I think it really is because I don't want people to think that it's not possible for them and all the struggles I've gone through to overcome the self-narrative of it doesn't define who you are I think can be beautiful. And I think it that is. that's partly it as well. Is that well, I, want... I, I don't want to diminish that message, right? Or even you as the deliverer of that message, because I know that was your identity. But I'm just saying that that's not the truth. And so do you then perceive this? Because you picked up on it, right? You even said, like, you got uncomfortable when I said smart. Yeah. Is that like a big thing? Like if someone's complimenting and the other person just keeps pushing back, Like, I'm actually really fascinated to know, like, is that a sign of? Usually, often. But I think what's interesting to me about you is this aspect of it that we're not, that you're not, you're kind of in resistance around. I am. You're right. Which is that you are attached. I'm paraphrasing the story. I'm not saying it's your story, obviously. 
but there's this story in there that feels to me like the only way that I can succeed and keep doing this amazing radical confidence thing is if I am pushing against being stupid. If I don't have that huh. story, I will no longer have this identity of this woman on the cover of the book, which quite frankly isn't true. It's a crack of shit. But that <laughs> is, you're attached to that you're identity. You're right. You're right. I a thousand percent. And part of that is that I'm attached to the identity of the person that may not know, but can figure it out. Well, that's and true. And so I think that holding on to that, when I face something that I don't know, before it used to be like the big alarm bells, yes. right? It was the, if you admit that you don't understand this, Lisa, you're going to be made fun of. The right. kids Everyone's are going to tease see how you. you are. You're going to be put in a special yeah. class. Like all of that that yeah. comes with. Yeah. So I have lent into, oh my God, I don't know this, but I can learn. Yes. And that has allowed me to be open. But that makes you challenges. smart. <laughs> but it's not even that. You're still skirting around it. There is... An attachment to the idea yeah, you're right. that yeah. without that percent. identity, I will no longer be me. You just so, hit the nail on the head. A thousand percent. Yeah. So just something to chew on. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to solve that right now, but I'm just telling you that I think it's a it's an investment in that story as your source of motivation. Yes. And that's not true. Your source of motivation is I can learn, right? But what's happening when your source of motivation is I got to prove I'm not, I got to prove to myself and everyone else I'm not stupid is that you're creating a tension that doesn't need to be here mm. rather than I am someone who can figure shit out. And that has nothing to do with being smart, stupid or anything else, right? I am someone who can figure something out yeah. and here's another experience showing that. But there is a very deep attachment that I don't think serves you personally. I don't know, you know, I'm just... No, Speaking I, my I truth. want you to tell me all the freaking truth. There is a story around intelligence that you're really attached to mm. that isn't self-loving, right? It's like going to the gym and exercising because you were convinced you're a fat pig, right? That is not going to be as good for your body and as good for your heart and as good for your soul or as sustainable and successful as someone who is going to the gym to care for their body and be the healthiest version of themselves they can be. Ooh, I'm silent for a reason. That gym analogy hit me because that was me. Yeah. I used to go to the gym and beat myself up. Lisa, you ate the extra sugar-free popsicle yesterday. You better freaking run on this mm -hmm. treadmill for an hour to burn off those mm -hmm. calories. That really freaking hit me. Holy yeah. smokes, woman. I like need a second to really sit with that I have, take because it. that's so like, <laughs> this is why I love doing this stuff. It's like, oh my God, I've just learned something about me because I'm all about growth. Mm -hmm. Like I truly, I have a North Star and that North Star is how can you improve yes. on a daily basis? You talk about the growth mindset, yeah, yeah. which I think is so important and such a beautiful part of you. A huge, it's all of you. I mean, that's everything, right? But it's also this you're not alone in people in being someone who is motivated through shame, right? But that's fundamentally what we're talking about, right? And I am just proposing that life can become even more amazing. And I think your tummy will become a lot better hmm. if your motivation is not coming from shame. Because the story is, which a lot of us have, is that the motivation, I don't even know what motivation not from shame looks like. Is Can you even be motivated without shame as your motivator, right? But you absolutely can. But your story is that you can't. Oh my God. <laughs> this is huge for me, girl. This is huge. Good. I'm like just literally in my own head right now thinking about everything that you said. I'm like, wow, that's so true. I am the person in metaphorically the gym and... It's the person that looks them themselves in the mirror after the gym is like, I look freaking amazing. And so this negative mindset is actually getting me to look mm -hmm, freaking mm -hmm. sharp. And so what if I lose this negative motivation? Mm -hmm. You're so right. Oh, my God. And that's true. But what is that negative motivation doing to you? It may be creating the external results, right? But what is it doing internally to you? It's never dawned on me that it was doing something negative health-wise because I've so 
I analyze pretty much everything. I, I try to be very self-aware. Right. Like that's like the sort of thing that I'm always going back in. Like does this, yeah. and so even with going back in with the self-awareness piece on the does this serve me this minute? I've always been like, oh yeah, it does serve me because look at where I've yeah, been. Yeah, look at the results. Yeah, it's never dawned on me that it was not serving me in ways that I didn't even acknowledge, yeah. like my health. What is happening in your stomach is shame. The pain and the clenching and I am not worthy of digesting this is shame. Hmm. Obviously, what you eat and all those other things sure, are important sure. too, but you're already doing all of that. Mm. But there is a inherent in what, you know, think about, just put it outside yourself for a minute. Think about your best friend or your husband or anyone who you really love who is living in shame and it's out there and you can see it, right? It's not mm. inside and quiet. You can see what it does to them, right? I never thought of it as shame though, which is interesting. Because it has such fabulous results. You know, it, it looked externally, you can create the same results with shame. It's just a lot more painful. Right, yeah, it's not the worst. And it's harder to sustain. Mm -hmm. And it's lower frequency. And it comes with agitation, mm -hmm. right? So just like you said, there's a part of you that already is here, right? It's only when I said you're smart that that bubble came up to the surface. Yeah. The rest of you knows I'm a learner. That's my motivation. Yeah. I'm yeah. not afraid to fail. Yeah. That's my motivation. And this excites me. And so I'm going to do it because I'm not afraid to fail because I know I can figure it out and I don't mind falling on my face. Yeah. And that's actually a really important distinction then because I think of smart as being, oh, this thing over here, I know how to do it. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, I'm not saying, words. I'm like, Lisa, stop talking. Stop talking. Yeah, it's good to say it out loud because that's what you're telling yourself unconsciously in your yeah. head. And what I love about this is I even said, like, I think of myself as being very self-aware. Yeah. And I do assess, you're feeling like this. Why are you feeling right? So I can backtrack. I know exactly why yeah. I feel stupid. Yeah. I can tell you where it yeah. comes from. Yeah. I can tell you my childhood. I can tell you how it manifested because I got older. It. I felt like I then, my story is, is that Lisa, you are someone that was able to overcome it. And so isn't that freaking powerful? Yeah. And so holding on to the power of that, I was seeing the positive in it. Yeah, that's good. Um, and you are that, but there's a slight distinction. Yeah. You are someone who overcame the story that she's stupid, mm. not being stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there Those it are two is. very yeah, different yeah. things. And you can still be the one that overcame the story of being stupid, realized that she's not stupid. She was just not supported enough in the ways that she needed, like most people our age weren't, right? And that had so many gifts in it because it drove you with that desire to prove otherwise, to discover this whole life mm -hmm. and create this whole life for yourself. But it's not serving you to hold on to that, to believe that that is the story that either defines you and or motivates you. Because I'm not so worried about it defining your past. What I'm worried about is that being the source of your motivation moving forward. Thousand percent. Because yeah, I don't actually worry. Like as I'm just like, look, I I've embraced every, like my past in all, you know, good, bad, the ugly. I've embraced it. I address it. I look at how that's, you know, yeah. manifest into who I am today. And usually when people ask the question, like, if you could go back to your old self, what would you change yeah. or what would yeah, you do yeah. differently? And my answer always is nothing. nothing. Yeah. Because I really do want and I do believe that everything in my past has accumulated to be who you see Lisa right now today. But I'm always future facing as well to say, well, who you are today, Lisa, does that serve the things that you're trying mm -hmm. to do in the future? Whether it's be a beautiful relationship with your husband, build a business or just self-care. Yeah. The self-care part really hit me when you said it because I was like, well, I don't, if this is a source of something that is getting in my way of self-care, then again, that clearly doesn't serve me, which no. now makes me want to address it and think of a strategy going back to like, <laughs> I don't know smart you are. <laughs> <laughs> a strategy so that I can like I think I feel the next book coming <laughs> <laughs> radical brilliance <laughs> and the subtitle is even if you don't feel like it yeah <laughs> that's amazing but I think really like even if I say to you right now Lisa you are really smart right yeah my guess is this all clenches up mm. right that tells you something 
that's fear. I can feel my stomach clenching up because I'm too empathic, right? I'm feeling mm. your my stomach is clenching with your stomach. So I know that there's a real attachment to that. Even though you intellectually talking this through know it's crazy, there's a part of you that is attached to that shame story, mm-hmm. right? And the body shame story. And I know you talk about in the book, and I had a very similar mother. I think you called her borderline anorexic, yeah. right? My mother was a Dexatrim every day, you know, that mm-hmm. appetite suppressant, which I guess was a form of speed. I don't even know, but they called it, it sold it over the counter. It was an appetite suppressant. And she used to say, you know, a little anorexia never hurt anyone. Like <gasps> she, so I get you on the body stuff. I get you on the shame as a motivator. I get how complicated it is, but I don't think it's a coincidence. And I know I'm not talking about anything you don't talk about in your book with your issues with, you know, it's difficult to eat. You have so much pain. You have so many digestive issues that you're still trying to get to the core of. Mm-hmm. And for I'm not a doctor, a phys, you know, a medical doctor, but I feel in every cell of my body right now, and I'm just going to say it, that this shame around uh, the way in which you beat yourself up, your attachment to doing that in order to create a good life for yourself is what's keeping you sick. And once that changes and you're willing to release the shame and recognize that it doesn't serve you and it's not the source of your motivation, all that clenching will release. Wow. Well, I'm a results kind of person. (laughs) So that result sounds amazing. And so, but joke, no joke. I really do go, I absolutely want to get my health back on track, like to be a hundred percent. And I've just suffered for the last six years and I do under, you know, stress and things like that have made such a difference and like kind of changing my lifestyle, self-care, making sure that I take, I take a whole day off. I literally switch my phone off. Mm -hmm. That was massive for me where no one could interrupt me because I just felt like I was always showing up for other people and I was never showing up for myself. And so I've got massive growth and change in health but I'm still not 100%. And so I love the honesty. I love the, hey, you're doing this wrong. Because now I'm like, cool, let me give it a shot. Like, because I'm so goal-oriented and I'm so like, how do I get to 100% health? I love everything you're saying. Like, everything is just like, oh my God, now I actually can try something. And I can try and work on that part of me because I have, Again, going back to, I've always just put this like, oh, this really serves you. Because I have really thought about, do I work, try and work on this or not? And I've just always come to the conclusion. And I think you start by addressing the fear and challenging that part that without that, who would I be? Without that, how would I motivate, right? And you'll realize, because you're smart, that that's just an old story that you've integrated in order to find the gifts and it's served you well, but it's not serving you now Mm -hmm. or anymore. And you've done a tremendous amount of all the right things to make your medical issues better, right? But they're still not better, completely better, right? They still hold you back. They still make it hard to feed your, to nourish yourself, you know? Mm. And how can you nourish yourself if you are someone who's filled with shame and that's their source of motivation? So they're going to tap it. If that's your source of motivation, you're going to tap into that shame regularly, right? So someone who's constantly tapped into their shame, even on a very the unconscious level, does shame want to nourish itself? Mm. Does shame want to expand? Does shame relax? No, the opposite. Shame doesn't deserve anything. God, this is freaking amazing. I mean, like, you know, I talk about so much in the book about the emotions, about how we think about ourselves, about making sure that you don't get the external validation, that you build it within yourself. And and I even say in the book, like, so the last chapter, I didn't do this in the end, but the last chapter, I really, when I first did my first draft, I basically put rinse and repeat. (laughs) Because I was like, just so everyone knows, I'm never done. Yeah. Like my growth. And I think that, that can, that's beautiful. And I think that that's important to say that you're never done, never that you done. are an evolving person. If you're not done, you're dead. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. What would you rather be, right? I think yeah. I'd rather never be done. And so I really actually, and this actually goes back to me leaning, leaning into the things that serve me versus yes. in the past, you saying that something was like, hey, look, you need to work on this in the past would have been like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. that means that I'm bad. That means yes. that I'm wrong. That yes. means I'm terrible. Let me run away. But in my evolution, in the the lessons that I teach about in the book to be the hero of your own life, 
is so that literally I could sit here with you easily and you could be like, oh, Lisa, this is a terrible strategy. And I'm like, tell me more. Yeah, you're not triggered. You're, you've got the growth mindset. And, and none of this has anything. I mean, you have accomplished more than most people will accomplish in their whole lives. And you spell out a roadmap for people on how to do that, mm. right? So by me challenging you is not to say you aren't someone who doesn't have a million things to teach us, right? I have a million shadows myself. I think I'm a pretty good expert in my field and people should listen to me. But that doesn't mean that I'm some guru on a mountaintop without my own shit still going on, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it may not be the shit that I'm talking to you about, right? There's all these other areas mm. where I do have, I've really learned and grown and my training and everything else. But then there's still those shadow parts of us. But that's why I love this. Because to me, when I wrote the book, I wanted to show the shadows. Yeah. Going back to even your very first question you asked me, why did I write the book and call it Radical Confidence? Is because it was so important to me to expose all the messiness that is us as humans, us as yes. women, us as wives, mothers, business partners, daughters, friends, like all the messiness that comes with everything that really is us, our emotions, yes. our baggage, our history. And so I've this has been one of my most favorite interviews because it has a, been a beautiful example of the fact that I never want anyone to think that I'm perfect. I've got my shit together. No, and I love being able to show in real time how we can embrace growth and yeah. how we can embrace challenges and things that don't serve us. So something you've really given me like insight now into what can I do differently next? How do I show up differently? How can I use this to serve me? How do I get better at this? And then let go of the things that don't serve me is precisely why I love this game of life. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And I think it's, I think all of the, all you, just ditto. I think that's so powerful and so beautiful. And it's part of why you have so much to teach, right? Mm -hmm. That growth mindset and how brilliant and smart you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank because, you. Because- I just took it. <laughs> because you, that systematic mindset of yours, you really break it down and you break down what worked and it all come, you know, at its core, I think it really is about the way that you get out of your own way, the way that you get to the point where you're willing to try mm. being willing to fail. Right. But every step of the way you're demonstrating that regardless, I'm just going to jump in with both feet and I can figure it out. It may take me a while. I'm going to fuck up, but I can figure it out. And, you know, in the beginning of my career, I was really young. I think when I finished my PhD, I was 26. And I remember working with couples and I was really good. I'm not good at many things, but I am like a savant when it comes to relationships. I just am. I think there are lots of reasons for it. And a lot of them are based in trauma with, mm. my, you know, being my parents, therapist and whatever else. Mm. But I'm really, really good at that. And I always have been. And these couples would come in who were in their 50s and I was 26 and they're like, what the hell do you have to teach me about relationships? My mantra from the time I remember I was in college, because I was always young for what I was doing, was just pretend you're hot shit until you become hot shit. That's what I would say to myself. Just pretend you're hot shit until you become hot shit. And I would stand up on stage in front of all of these doctors as like a 26-year-old and just be like, fuck you. I'm hot <laughs> shit, even though I was scared poopless, right? Yeah. So... It's this radical confidence. I'd never thought of it that way. But that's really what it comes. Every single person who has been successful in what they want to do never felt confident in the beginning. You know, yeah. we all are scared. We all feel out of our depth. We all struggle with imposter syndrome when we try something new. And being willing to try anyway is really the confidence. So true. And then just that the word imposter syndrome, there's so many messages online now. And it's like, oh, no, you shouldn't have imposter syndrome. And so I get asked. And I'm like, I honestly don't care. Yeah. If imposter syndrome holds you back, don't have imposter syndrome, don't do it. If it actually helps you walk into the room, then do it. It's like, we, I think we hold a lot of meaning to certain things yeah. that can hold us back, like the word stupid. Yeah. And it's how that lands, right? Yeah. Because yes. I would even challenge you. I think this is a larger thing with you, right? Because I would even challenge you on the imposter syndrome. If the imposter syndrome produces the results you want, that's not enough. If the imposter syndrome produces the results you want and doesn't cost you physically or emotionally, yes, then it's worth it. I love the little caveat. I'm going to use that from now on. Yeah, because that, it's not enough that it works, mm -hmm. right? 
Because a kid is going to behave if they get the shit beaten out of them every time they don't behave. But is that really serving the child? You're getting the results you want, but is that really serving the child's self-worth, their body, their energy, their, their being? No. But it works. That was so... Your freaking analogies are really hitting me hard. So true. Wow. There you go. This was an interview. I know. This was, like, this, this was like a personal Lisa Gilly therapy session. <laughs> I think you're amazing. And I'm so Thank grateful you. for oh who God. you are and what you do in the world and for the book, Radical Confidence. I think it's a great roadmap, especially even for younger women who have, like, you know, are really ready to step into their dreams and for any age who's wanting to redefine their life. I, I just am really excited for it. So thank congratulations. You. And thank you for having me on. And just like, this has really been so wonderful for me. Like, again, I really hope it's come across to your audience on just how beautiful I think it can be for us never to think that we are always perfect or that we have it all together. And that if we can embrace that we are an evolving person always then I think it like it really like once upon a time I never would have been able to have this conversation with you yeah. let alone in front of the cameras I would have had a heart attack <laughs> if we tried this five years ago yeah. like literally I would have like that. frozen mm -hmm. and so I actually hope also that's a great example of people of how you can evolve how you can have hard discussions how you yes. can have one conversation at one part of your life and feel like this is a detriment to your self-esteem and who you are and yet years down the line, if you work on your mindset, if you work on yourself, that you can actually now have that same type of conversation with utter beauty and be able to see the immense, tremendous value that that has yeah. brought. And so you've left me with a lot to think about and I'm really, you've literally like opened a new door for me to explore. Really? Well, will you keep me posted on oh, what you yeah. discover? I'm excited Absolutely. to Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. The growth mindset, when people ask what they're looking for in a relationship, what do I most need or to be have a successful life? One of the keys to radical confidence is that growth mindset. And yeah, that's exactly what who you are, which I love. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you.